Hello everyone. It's good to be kicking off this Church Without Walls series today with one of my favourite topics, the sacred-secular divide. Andy did a great job last week of introducing the vision behind the series and why we hope it will challenge and change us as Hub Community Church. So I'm hoping this morning will provoke and maybe even unsettle some of you. In case you missed it, here's a reminder of what Andy had to say on the subject. And the first one is about the sacred secular divide. This basically asks the question, should we live our Christian faith separated from the world around us? Or should who we are and what we believe and God working through us, should that influence the world around us in every area of society? Some traditions, some church traditions believe that there should be a divide, that Christians should be separate to the world. But we believe differently. We believe that God has called us into these different spheres of society to make a difference and to usher his kingdom into them. But we in the hub believe that we've got a mandate to break these walls down and that the church should be influencing various areas of society. We want to be this church without any walls preventing the things that God wants to do in and through us. So this series will be a bit different maybe to how series have been before. You may find this series a little bit tough at times. It may challenge you. We hope it will challenge all of us. We're going to focus on some things that you may find a bit challenging to confront. God may put his finger on some things in your life, my life, that we need to address and we need to change and that's never easy. So, as Andy said, Sacred Secular is all about our level of engagement with the world around us. But I wonder what immediately comes to your mind when you hear the words sacred and secular. The definitions are fairly black and white. Sacred means connected with God or dedicated to a religious purpose and so deserving veneration, while secular means not connected with religious or spiritual matters. So these words create a nice neat separation between the God stuff and the not God stuff. But this is an idea that's only been with us for about three to four hundred years since the European Enlightenment of the 17th and 18th century. Prior to this, the word was used to mean either a mundane endeavour or to denote a long duration. It's used in the Vulgate translation of Galatians 1 to 5, which we now read in our Bibles as forever and ever. Now, I don't want this to turn into a lecture on etymology, but understanding where this idea has come from should raise a very important question in our minds. Is the idea of God stuff and not God stuff a biblical distinction? And moreover, is it even a helpful distinction to make? A few weeks ago, Dave Rebetz gave us an insight into James, the brother of Jesus. He read out these words that we find in the book of James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, 
And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and be filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. As Dave suggested, the best way to understand this is not that we are saved by works, but if the faith that saves us does not stimulate within us caring and loving action for our fellow creation, then we have to ask if it is alive and vibrant faith, or if it is in fact dead. Now philanthropy and social action is not something that is the exclusive domain of Christians of course, but it is something that has very often been instigated, driven and delivered by and through Christians and Christian organisations. The actions of Jesus in reaching out to the poor and marginalised, and verses like this one in James, are some of the reasons why Christians are inspired to care for the world around them. Why the world around them matters. One of the key ideas behind this thought and one that you may hear a few times as we work through this series, is that we are all made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Not God created some of us in his image and some of us to be a bit average, but in the image of God, he created them, all of them. The event that followed, known as the fall, where mankind turned away from the love of God and chose a path of selfish ambition, affects all of us too. So this would seem to suggest to me that perhaps we're not really at liberty to distinguish between the God stuff and the not God stuff, seeing as all of it ultimately has its origin in being God's stuff. I couldn't actually find the source of this quote. Let me know if you know where it comes from. But there is a saying that goes, there is nothing secular except sin. Now perhaps it's a bit broad brush, but the justification behind it is this. If God made everything, and everything God made is good, then the only thing that is not of God is our sin, which can be simplified to our willful decision as mankind to walk away from a relationship with and the purposes of God. Therefore you shouldn't make a distinction between things that are sacred and secular, unless of course you can point to that thing as being inherently sinful. It's the same basic thought that gave rise to one of my absolute favourite quotes from a chap called Abraham Kuyper. 
There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It's a great quote that really captures what I believe to be the heart of God in wanting to reclaim creation. Even though humanity has tried so hard to convince itself that it has nothing to do with him. So if our definition of sacred and secular is in fact false, and there is not a square inch over which Christ does not cry mine, are we free to participate in all the world has to offer? Not even close. Paul writing to the church in Corinth has this to say about it. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Now, there is a school of thought in Christian circles, as Andy alluded to last week, that says we should remain separate, apart from the world, so that we can live a life that is pure and holy. There's a lot of sense in this. And at times, I must admit, a certain amount of attraction. You may be familiar with the Anabaptists, movements like the Mennonites and Amish, and of course the monastic tradition in Roman Catholicism. There are, of course, many reasons people are attracted to this way of life, and it has many merits. But I have to say that for me, it seems somewhat at odds with the narrative of the New Testament, which encourages the church to go into the world and reclaim it for God. I want to bring back our old friend Abraham Kuyper here, who also said this. The curse should no longer rest upon the world itself, but upon that which is sinful in it. And instead of monastic flight from the world, the duty is now emphasised of serving God in the world, in every position in life. Now I should probably also mention at this stage that as well as being a prominent theologian, Kuiper was also a distinguished politician and was leader of the Dutch anti-revolutionary party between 1879 and 1920, which included a stint as Prime Minister of the Netherlands between 1901 and 1905. Kuiper didn't see any separation of sacred and secular. In fact, quite the opposite. He saw it as our duty as Christians to participate in and influence that which might be considered secular. That doesn't just have to be politics. It can be a great many things. Many of you that know me will know that I'm a fan of heavy music, the sort of thing you can't play in earshot of your granny. In fact, probably the sort of thing that most of you wouldn't listen to. Now, I'm not saying you should all listen to metalcore bands like Kill Switch Engage and Bullet For My Valentine. For many, that would neither be beneficial nor constructive, as Paul puts it. But I make no apology for being into that sort of music. 
In fact, I would go a bit further out on that limb and say that as an expression of music, which everyone would agree is a God-given blessing, it is included in its own square inch of our human existence, over which Christ cries mine, out of a desire to reclaim and redeem. Why don't you just take a moment to think about your life and the lives of those around you? Where have you drawn the lines between the sacred and the secular? Does God want to challenge your view and your approach to certain areas that you thought were no-go zones for God? Now, as a fan, I simply enjoy the music. But as a Christian, how should I engage with this genre of music that many would deem best avoided? Well, there are three ways. Contribute, infiltrate and demonstrate. I'll give you examples of those three for the specific situation I mentioned. But as I do, I don't want you to get caught up in the example of music. That's my thing. Have a think about how these same ways to engage might apply to your situation, your secular divide. Even in the world of heavy music, there are a number of bands who fly the flag for Christianity. Bands like Skillet, August Burns Red and As I Lay Dying, for example. They're taking overtly Christian messages into this genre of music and producing a God-influenced sound that is contributing to the overall sound within the industry. The ability to contribute is, for most things, restricted to a few, but open to more of us is the ability to infiltrate or influence from the inside. Our very own Bob Horn is a good example of this. Some of you will know that Bob is part of a band with two lifelong friends of his. The band is called Stories of Rock and they cover rock songs from the 50s to the present day. Prior to lockdown, they were playing regularly in pubs around the Thames Valley in London. Now, Bob doesn't sing his own songs, excellent though they are, and he doesn't finish each gig with an altar call. But he does carry the light of God into dark places. He may never know how the light shines. But in the way he behaves, how he interacts with staff and punters, and sometimes in the lyrics he chooses to subtly alter, he does shine God's light into a world that many Christians simply brand as secular and to be avoided. This final way is where I attempt to hang my hat. I don't often get the chance to infiltrate, and I certainly don't have the talent to contribute. But even so, I still engage with the culture. I'm a writer at heart, and so I guess it's part of my nature to listen a bit more carefully to lyrics than most. And it's really interesting to see how many of these songs we may think of as secular actually have a strong spiritual side, often betraying a yearning and searching for God, even if it's not explicitly expressed. But that's just an aside. The biggest way I engage with this world is that I am comfortable with being a Christian and listening to heavy music. I do not try to hide either element or separate the two into sacred and secular. 
I found a way to reconcile the two in a way that doesn't compromise either. I will happily explain to a Christian why I think the Wild Hearts are the best band in the world, or explain to a Wild Hearts fan why Jesus died for them. I may not agree with every sentiment expressed in their songs, or seek to emulate them as role models, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy their music. People who like heavy music do not need to be atheist or satanic, and becoming a Christian doesn't mean you have to shun the creative genre you enjoy. All who acknowledge Jesus as Saviour are welcome in the Kingdom of God. Now just to be clear, I am aware that there are elements within the heavy music scene that play heavily on the demonic and satanic. I am not trying to trivialise this or the negative influence it can have on people's lives. As Paul says to the Corinthians, we must be careful not to expose ourselves to that which is not beneficial or constructive for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Although we should not be in fear of these things either. After all, the power they misguidedly profess to serve is a broken and defeated power. The challenge here is not to go out and buy your first grindcore album. So if that's what you've heard, I'm sorry, but you missed the point. The challenge is to think about what you might class as secular. Maybe you've deliberately excluded it from your life in an attempt at pseudo-monastic devotion. Maybe you simply pigeonhole it as nothing to do with God and church, a guilty pleasure if you like. But as a consequence, you do not give God the sovereignty over it he deserves and desires. Take a moment once again to think about what that might be. Is God highlighting something to you? Is God challenging you? Please hear me right. If you have excluded something from your life because it was genuinely detrimental to your walk with God, this is not a call to revert to your old ways. However, if God is highlighting something to you, an area you have previously considered to be secular and have nothing to do with him, if God is speaking to you about something, then I want you to pray this prayer with me now. Father God, I thank you for the world you have created in all its diversity. I thank you, Jesus, that you are sovereign over all and you claim dominion over every square inch of our human existence. I am sorry for the areas in my life, all that are around me, that I have considered secular and excluded you from. I pray, Father, that you would shine your light into this area and help me to participate with you in reclaiming this area for the glory of your kingdom. Amen. If this is not you, and either you feel you have it sorted, or that some things still need to remain separate, then I would like you to pray this with me now. Father God, I thank you for the world you have created in all its diversity. I thank you, Jesus, that you are sovereign over all and you claim dominion over every square inch of our human existence. I am sorry for those times when I have judged others and put up walls between what I consider to be sacred and secular. I pray, Father, that you would break down those walls in me and expand my heart with your love so that I may extend the welcome of your kingdom to all. 
So in conclusion, we've been talking about how God wants us to be a church without walls, how he wants us to break down barriers that keep us restrained into a shape of our own making. If we are to be obedient to this word, we must look for God to bring about these changes in us. So if God has been challenging you today, don't shy away. It may be uncomfortable. It may even kick against decades of conditioned thought. But please allow God to move and work. One final thing before I go. I understand I have deliberately challenged and provoked. Although I've done my best to be clear, it's not always easy to avoid confusion in this medium. So if you want to contact me to discuss or clarify anything I have said, you can get in touch with me through the email shown on the screen. Thank you for listening. God bless.